Good morning. I pray that you've had a great week. Um, it's been a busy week around this place, and uh, I got tickled. Mike said, and there was 170 adults and teenagers that showed up in this room this past Wednesday night. Mike said, I hadn't even done anything. I said, man, look, I told you. I told you. This, this platform's being set for a long time. God's been really doing a work in our teenagers, and we're very blessed. Uh, but not only that, man, it's a, it's a blessing with the mobile dental clinic this past week, I know there were some of you that were really involved in that. We were able to serve, I think, somewhere around 80 people this past week with dentists and, and dental hygienists and their assistants coming in and people volunteering. And I can only tell you this, there were a lot of cavities filled and teeth pulled this week. That's all I can tell you. There was an awful, awful bunch of them, but we are very thankful. And then on top of that, there was a lot of blood given Wednesday at the blood mobile. My goodness gracious. 19 or 20, I don't know how many, but that's a lot of blood. That's all I can say. And so uh, in addition to that, so we're so thankful. Uh, and uh, we had announced last week we're taking up an offering for Project uh, Generosity here within our community. We're working together. For the past several years, we have taken up a sort of a, an offering. We, as a community, we've come together as business churches, as individuals, civic groups, and we, we come together to help fund and help bless our school here in Fruitland Park. And uh, this coming Wednesday, we'll be presenting a, ch a check. But uh, if you want to give to that today, you have the ability. Our goal is $15,000 as a, as a community, um, as we participate in that together. And our goal specifically is $1,000. You guys have always been so generous. You always exceed anything that we do. But it's going to be really fun this next Wednesday to present a check to our local school uh, and be able to bless them so that our kids and our teachers can be blessed. But I'm privileged to be a part of that. Listen, I want you to take your Bibles, turn to the book of Romans in the New Testament. That's where we're going to be at today. And we're going to walk through the first 16 verses there in chapter 2. And while you're doing that, let me just make a statement today. Um, you know, one of the hardest groups of people to share the gospel with is people that are good, okay? Good people. You know, pe people like Scott Rennick, they're good people. Is that right, Scott? You're a good person, right? Good people. I mean, moral people. Um, they might be kind. They might be nice. They might be generous. Just good people. You know, just good old people. Good old people. You probably know some of those. Some of those. And uh, in many ways, they may even be gooder. gooder but that's a good name. <laughs> they may even be better than... Um, some of the people that you know that are professing Christians. Are we on the same page? Yeah. Ouch. That's, that is an, that's an ouch. Um, but it's not the good things that we do that save us, but it's only what Jesus Christ did. But I want you to sort of keep that in mind as we walk through today, because we're going to talk an awful lot about the goodness of, of man, but it's not good enough. Let me say this also as we get ready to start today. I mean, to where we are in the book of Romans, Paul has introduced himself. Uh, he's given some reasons why he's writing and why he wants to visit. Look, guys, I want to come to you. I want to, I want to share the gifts that I have, but I also want to receive your gifts because I want to be encouraged. And uh, Paul goes from, in a very short amount of time, from, man, I'm looking to meet you guys. It's going to be great to this good news about God's righteousness and the salvation that comes through Jesus Christ to where we were last week. God's wrath and judgment that comes, that we experience when we rebel against God. 
Before we go any further, let me just ask you a question. Let's just suppose that you were to stand before the Lord today and he were to ask you, why should I let you into my kingdom? What in the world do you think you'd say to him? Shh, don't answer that question out loud. I mean, how many of us would say, well, I've been a, I've been a good person. But what we're going to learn today is regardless of how good you may think you are, our goodness isn't enough. The self-righteous moral man is guilty. He's guilty. Let's pray, and then we're going to read God's Word. Father, this is what I know today. There are many of us in this room that are coming from different perspectives, some that are followers of Jesus, and Lord, we're just seeking after you and wanting to obey you in every part of our lives. There are others that are, that are going through the motions. They're, they're religious. They, they do religious things, and yet when it comes to knowing you personally, they have no clue who you are and your characteristics. Then there are some in this room that have rebelled against you that intentionally say, I don't really care. But for whatever the reason you're here today, they're listening to my voice, and I'm thankful for that. Lord, I pray just as we read your word today, it would be your word that speaks it would be your word that penetrates our hearts. It would be your word that motivates us to transformation. That's what I pray today. In Jesus' name, amen. I want you to write this down as we begin today. Uh, there in verse 1, I want you to write this down. The awareness of right and wrong, the awareness of right and wrong, wrong reveals a responsibility to God. Look at what Paul writes there in chapter 2, verse 1. He says this, You may think you can condemn such people, but you are just as bad, and you have no excuse. When you say that they are wicked and should be punished, you are condemning yourself, for you who judge others do the exact same thing. Now, we're going back to chapter 1 and what Paul had to say there. And if you remember, he talked about at one point, he said, Listen, God has revealed himself to humanity through his creation that God has revealed himself through creation. He demonstrates that through intelligent design, that we must, we have an intelligent designer. And because of God's revelation through his creation, what it does is it says that we have a responsibility to God. And so Paul says, look guys, I just want you to know there's no excuse. Regardless of what you think, there's no excuse. And we want, when we want to judge others, it demonstrates that the knowledge of right and wrong, it demonstrates the knowledge of right and wrong, and because of that knowledge, we have a responsibility to God. See, when's the last time you've called somebody out for lying? When's the last time you've called somebody out for stealing? When's the last time that you've called somebody out for doing something that you felt was wrong? Well, where in the world do you think that comes from? How many times are we good about pointing out the things in other people's lives, and yet we are struggling with the same exact thing? I saw this this past week, and I thought, that's a pretty good statement. Our sin, it always seems to look uglier on other people. Isn't that true? Why is it that our sin seems to always look uglier on other people? I'm reminded of the story of the prodigal son. Maybe you know that story. It's about the father and his two sons, and... Um, you got one son that's younger, one son that's older. The younger son comes to dad and says, Dad, listen, I want you to give me my inheritance so that I can, I can go off and, and live life. Father said, well, I don't think you really want to do that, but if you want to do it, I'll, I'll give it to you. And he does. The, younger, the, older, the older son stays home, and he does exactly what his dad asked him to do, while the younger son is out squandering everything that his dad has ever, ever made, and he's making a mess of his life. And finally, the younger boy comes to a place he says, listen, why am I doing all this junk? 
He says, man, I'm making a mess of life. So he repents and he turns and he comes back home and the father has been waiting this whole time. You know, the, the older son hasn't done anything wrong. He's at home. The father sees the younger son coming and he goes, oh my goodness gracious, go kill the fatted calf. The, the son that is lost has come home and we're going to celebrate. You got the older, the older son that's saying, what do you mean you're going to celebrate? He's the one that took everything, everything that you had and he squandered it and living that lifestyle that was terrible. And you're going to celebrate him? What about me? Man, I've been the one that's back here and I've been doing everything that's right and I have listened to you and I have, I've obeyed you. I mean, from a perspective, it looks like, well, he's right. But really, he was wrong, wasn't he? Because even though he had stayed back, what was wrong with his heart? I mean, here he is accusing the, the heart of the, the younger son that he went off and squandered everything. And that was pretty noticeable. But it was the older son whose, whose heart was bitter and anger and full of selfishness. And, and here he is accusing his his younger brother. You know, it's just easy to, it's a lot easier to accuse other people and throw stones at them, but I've learned a long time ago, we all live in a glass house, amen? Be careful. Or it reminds me of the story of David. Maybe you know that story where David commits about, um, adultery with Bathsheba. To hide, to cover that up, he ends up killing her husband, Uriah, and uh, in the meantime, God tells the prophet Nathan, I want you to go and I want you to, to confront David. And so he does, and he has this conversation, and he tells a story to David. Listen, I, there's a story of a rich man and a poor man, a man that has much and a man that has very little, a man that has a lot of sheep and a man that has only one sheep. He goes on to tell him the story that, you know, after a period of time, this, this rich man had somebody that came to the house and he wanted to throw a party for him, and he wanted to feed him. And so instead of taking one, one of his sheep, he goes to the poor man who only had one sheep that treated that sheep like family, that cuddled that sheep like it was his. He took him, and he killed him. And maybe you're a little bit like David right now. You're like going, what are you talking about? And that made him mad. David said, man, that, deserves, that guy deserves to die. He said he must repay that, that one that he, that he took, he must repay him with four. And, and Nathan, in the midst of that time that he was identifying with that man, said, listen, I just want to tell you this, David. I hate to break it to you, but you're that guy. The Bible says that David became convicted. He became convicted. I mean, how in the world could anyone do something so horrible? And yet, he came to recognize that it was, that it was him. And here's Paul saying the ability to recognize the difference between right and wrong. What it does is it creates a responsibility to God. Secondly, I want you to write this down. Those who recognize the sins of others, those of us that can see the sins in other people's lives, this is what I want you to understand, that we are responsible to God for our own. Okay, it's really easy for us to point out the sins in others, people's life, but when we do that, we're responsible to God for our own. Look at what he says in verse 2. And we know that God and his justice will punish anyone who does such things. Since you judge others for doing these things, why do you think that you can avoid God's judgment when you do the same things? So when we know the difference between right and wrong, um, um, you know, we, we try awful hard to do what's right. And in the meantime, we look around and we see all these people around us that seem to, seem to be worse off than what we are. I mean, we look at people. I mean, I look at, I look at Larry Pierce back there and I thought, well, man, I compare myself to Larry Pierce. I'm, I'm a pretty good guy. 
I'm just joking, Larry. I know. I have to elevate myself. I mean, but how many of us, when we, when we start comparing, we start looking at other people and we try to find somebody to compare ourselves to. And we look at them and we go, well, man, I'm not as bad as they are. I must be pretty good. I'm a pretty good guy. You know, God must really like me. Maybe you've been involved in a conversation like this before where the question's been asked, where, when you die, where do you think you'll spend eternity, heaven or hell? Well, heaven? <laughs> I mean, that's a crazy question. Why would you ask me that question? Heaven, because... Um, well, what in the world makes you think you'll go to heaven? Well, I'm a good guy. I mean, I mean I'm, a, I'm a good guy. I'm a good person. Which ends up leading us to the next logical question, well, how good is good enough and to whom are you comparing yourself? I mean, your, your cousin, your uncle, the, you know, the guy in prison? I mean, where is the comparison coming? I think about the story of, of two men One's a liar, the other's adulterer. Which one's the worst? I think about the one who steals or, or the one who commits murder. Which one is worse? I mean, how many of us would have a level and we go, well, that person's better than this person. Are they really? And person might be saying, well, listen, I'm, I'm good enough. They may not be good enough, but I'm good enough. And Paul is saying, look, God doesn't grade on a curve. No, it's, he doesn't grade on a curve. And even though you may think you, you're better off or you've got a better track record than the other people around you, the real question is, am I living up to God's standard of perfection? And I'll tell you, the answer, no. No. The Jews would have said to themselves, you know, they would have said to themselves and others, well, we're pretty good people. I mean, we're good people and we've not only been given the law, but we seek to obey the law and practice the law when we can. And here's Paul writing to them and and. and uh, and they would have said this to Paul, listen, the Gentiles are the ones that deserve to go to hell. They're the ones that are bad. We're God's chosen people. Obviously, we aren't as bad as they are. But Paul would have laid out, listen, regardless of, of what your nationality is or the color of your skin or where you come from, all humanity is guilty. That none of us can measure up to God's standard of Perfection, And then Paul goes on to write there in verse 4, and you can read it with me. Don't you see how wonderfully kind and tolerant, that's a good word to underline, the word tolerant, and patient God is with you? Does this mean nothing? Can't you see that his kindness is intended to turn you from your sin? In other words, God's delayed judgment isn't because he's forgetful or lazy, but you can write this down. God's judgment, his delayed judgment, is to produce repentance. I had asked you guys to underline that word tolerance in the ESV and some other versions that may use the word forbearance. The Greek word for that is anoke, which means to bear with or to hold back. And that word sort of, um, what it does is it paints a picture of two parties that are at war with one another. And it's the idea is that the idea of that God is at war with sin and that he has declared at this moment in time a season of truce, an opportunity for us to be able to repent and make peace. Not peace on our terms, but peace on God's terms. And God not only has the right to judge us, he can do it anytime he wants to. And that's pretty scary, isn't it? I mean, what happens if, if, if the Lord were to say, man, right now, we'd be in trouble. And yet here's God delaying his judgment, not because he lacks power, not because he's indifferent towards sin, but because he so much desires for us to repent and to turn to him. It was in his closing letter that Peter would write this in 2 Peter chapter 3, the Lord isn't being slow about his promises, some might think. No, 
No, he's being patient for your sake and my sake. Don't you look to the person next to you and just say, God's being patient with you. Yeah. I want you to think about that. I want you to think about how patient God is. But I'm going to tell you what, there's going to come a day. There's going to come a day when every knee and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. Every knee will bow and tongue confess. And that'll be it. There's no more. I mean, there are, there, there are a lot of adults of us in this room that I would think are parents. We've got a lot of parents in here where there's children, small children, middle-game children, older children. Um, there are a lot of us in this room that are parents. And and you know what it's like to discipline your child. And sometimes when you discipline your child, it doesn't look like you love them. Okay, you know what I'm saying? Then when you, then when you discipline it, it doesn't give the appearance, especially to the one that's being disciplined. I mean, the feeling is, well, you don't love me. Well, no, that's not true. I love you a lot. I love you so much that I want to discipline you. With that being said, I, what would it be like to be the motivating factor of our children or those that we discipline, that they understand that we're disciplining them, not because we want to keep them from having fun, but we're disciplining them because we've got something better for them, because we love them deeply. I mean, what would it be like for our kids to come to the place to understand that the rules and regulations that we put in place within our, our families, that they're there not to keep us again from having fun, but it's for their well-being. And I want you to work with me on this for a second. I want you to, maybe you can grasp this. You know, it's a game changer when we come to recognize what God's word has to say isn't because he hates us. What God's word has to say isn't because he doesn't want us to have fun. What God's word is, is here for is because he loves us deeply. And when we grasp the depths of God's love and realize just how patient and how kind and how long-suffering it is, he is, it would cause us to repent and to turn to him and to seek to align our lives with him so that, so that we are, are living the way that he would want us to live. You can also write this down. When we refuse to repent and turn to God, it justifies God's judgment. When we refuse to repent and turn to God, it justifies God's judgment. Look at what he wrote in verse 5. But because you are stubborn and refuse to turn from your sin, you know anybody like that? You can't tell me what to do. Because, but, but because when you are stubborn and you refuse to turn from your sin, you are storing up a terrible punishment for yourself. For a day of anger is coming when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. In other words, when we keep refusing to turn to God time and time again, over time it's easy for our hearts to become calloused and hard. And when God's, when God's judgment, when it, when it comes, it won't be because God didn't give us enough chance. It won't be because God didn't give us an invitation to follow him, but God's judgment will come, will come because we've continued to say no. No. I don't want to follow you. And regardless of what people may say, I hear this from time, you know, why, you know God, God's not a good God. I mean, I mean, he sends people to hell. God doesn't send people to hell. We make a choice. That invitation, the Bible says, that whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. That invitation, Terry, is open to every one of us because God loves us and he cares for us. There's always going to be a price to pay. 
I mean, why in the world would somebody make a choice to rebel against God, to say, God, I don't want to listen to you unless they, unless they're, they're, um, unless they, why would they reject God unless they believe that, that what God's word says isn't true? I mean, think about that. Why in the world would they continue to do what's wrong and reject God? It would be because they wouldn't, they don't recognize, they don't believe what the Bible has to say in reference to there being a price to pay for disobedience. And then in verse 6, it says that he, being God, will judge everyone according to what they've done. He will give an eternal life, and I think about this, eternal life to those who keep on doing good, seeking after the glory and honor and immortality that God offers. But, but, he will pour out his anger and wrath on those who live for themselves, those who refuse to obey the truth and instead live lives of wickedness. There will be trouble and calamity for everyone who keeps on doing what is evil for the Jew first and also the Gentile. But, but there will be glory and honor and peace from God for all who do good, for the Jew first and also the Gentile. Listen to what he says. Look at verse 7 and 10. And he says, what, what is available? Eternal life, glory, honor, and peace for those who receive Christ and those who live for him. Glory, honor, peace, immortality, everlasting life for those people who do good and choose to trust God and seek after him. But, look at what he says in verse 8 and 9, for the person that chooses to reject God, those which are self-seeking, those who are, are lying in, um, uh, in rebellion, they live in rebellion towards God, um, rejecting his love. It says that he will pour out his anger and his wrath, and there will be trouble and calamity. I mean, isn't, isn't that what you... Isn't that what you want? I mean, don't you want trouble and calamity in your life? I mean, don't you, don't you want to wake up in the morning thinking, man, I wonder what kind of trouble and calamity I'm going to experience today? I mean, isn't that really what you desire? It's not very appealing, is it? Well, here in Jesus, in the time in his ministry, he had fed the 5,000. Jesus had performed miracles. He had walked on the water. And he's having a, a discussion with the disciples and Man, they're wanting to ask some questions. They, they, like, Jesus, what, what do we need to do? What, what is it we need to do? What kind of work can we do? And in John chapter 6, verse 28, this is how Jesus, yeah, this is how he responded to them. He said, we, we want to perform, or they said, we want to perform works like you. What should we do? And Jesus said, the only work that God wants from you, believe in the one that he has sent. What kind of work did Jesus say was necessary for salvation? Believe. He didn't say go to church. He didn't say read your Bible. He didn't say go to a Bible study. He didn't say memorize the scripture. He didn't say serve it beyond the walls. He said believe. Believe. But the funny thing about that belief is that if you believe, that belief affects how you live. Trusting in what Jesus has done in choosing to yield your life to follow him. And, but here's the deal. When we reject God, when we refuse and to repent and turn to God, everything else is going to come down to works and performance. And let me just say, when it comes to works and performance, people, we're going to blow it because our goodness is never enough. Our life is full of mistakes. The good news is that Jesus himself went to every extent to do all, all that needed to be done. Because he loved us so that we could have eternal life. And all we have to do is to, to be willing to, to humble ourselves, Gail, and to submit ourselves and say, Jesus, I want to trust you. 
I, I can't do this on my own, but Jesus, what I want to do is I want to trust you to believe. But you know what? It's easy over time. It's easy over time as a believer to take for granted the good news and what God has done and to become apathetic and comfortable. How many of you believe that because we live in America, we are blessed? I better hear an amen from everybody. We're blessed. You may not even realize how blessed you are. You, we, no, we, we take for granted so much. I mean, you know, the electricity goes off these days and we just fall out. Oh my goodness gracious, no electricity. Think the world's coming to an end. I mean, we take for granted things like hot water. Wait till you go to another country where there is no hot water and the water's about 60 degrees and that's all you have to do to even, you know. I mean, it's so easy for us to take, take certain things for granted. In America, we've just been so blessed, so blessed that we take so many things for granted. And you know, it's easy to take our Heavenly Father for granted, for us to become complacent in our relationship with Him and forget all the things, maybe not forget, but just maybe not remember just how special and how privileged we are to have a Heavenly Father that loves us like He does. And over time, lose that sense of urgency in living on mission and making the most of every opportunity. I mean, think about this. Let's just say that there's a cure for COVID and you've got it. Would you be willing to share that to other people? I mean, if you had the answer to, to, to the pandemic, I mean, wouldn't you want to share that answer? Take that, in, take that in consideration and thought when we think about the brokenness of humanity and sin, the fact that we have the answer for that. I mean, are we as freely to share the good news with others or have we just become complacent and religious and good? And Paul finishes up here explaining why all mankind is guilty. And look at what he says in verse 11 and following. For God does not show favoritism. When the Gentiles sin, they will be destroyed, even though they never had God's written law. And the Jews who do have God's law, will be judged by that law when they fail to obey it. For merely listening to the law doesn't make us right with God. It is obeying the law that makes us right in his sight. Even Gentiles who do not have God's written law show that they know his law when they instinctively obey it, even without having heard it. Verse 15, they demonstrate that God's law is, is written on their hearts for their own conscience and thoughts either accuse them or tell them that they're doing right. And this is the message that I proclaim, Paul's saying, that the day is coming when God, through Jesus Christ, will judge everyone's secret life. So he starts out by saying, listen, God shows no favoritism, red, yellow, black, and white. We are all precious in his sight. God doesn't show favorites. I mean, just because you might be a Jew and, and you've got this Jewish heritage, Listen, you don't get a free pass or a free ticket to heaven. It doesn't work that way. And the Jew can't say, look, I'm innocent because of, my, uh, of, of the law, the fact that I'm a Jew. Or, I, listen, it doesn't give us a, pre, a, free, a free pass. We're not innocent because of that. Maybe a way to explain it in today's terms might be, listen, just because you go to church, just because you read the Bible, just because your mom and dad went to church, brought you up in a Christian home, just because your daddy may be pastor or you stand in the pulpit, listen, it doesn't mean that you're a follower of Jesus. 
Not at all. Jews would have said, but don't you know we're Jews? I mean, listen, we're from the lineage, from the descendants of Abraham. We've not only been taught the law, we seek to want to practice it. And Paul would have said, yeah, man, I get it. But the only way to heaven isn't through the law. It's not through your heritage, but it's through a personal relationship with Christ and nothing else. And no excuses. No excuses. Just because you have access to the law, it doesn't make you right. But you have to live out what it teaches. I'm reminded of what James has to say as he, as he wrote there in James chapter 2. We must, be just, we must be doers of the word, not just hearers. But the Jew can't say, look, I'm innocent just because I'm Jewish or because I have the law. You are guilty. Well, what about the Gentile? He doesn't have the law. The Gentile can't say, I'm innocent because I don't have the law. No. Look at what he says in verse 14. Even Gentiles who do not have God's written law show that they know his law when they are instinctively obey it, even without having heard it. They demonstrate that God's law is written on their hearts for their own conscience and thoughts either accuse them or tell them that they are doing right. Write this down. The Jew can't say I'm innocent because we don't have the law. Paul would say, no, uh, just because you don't have the law doesn't mean that you're innocent because you've got a conscience. And in those moments when you feel like something's wrong, where in the world do you think that comes from? It was like the Spirit of God was impressing on you the difference between what was right and wrong. Maybe it's telling a lie or cheating, and all of a sudden, you know, you're confronted, you deny it. Why do you think you deny it? Because you know it's wrong. I mean, why do you try to hide certain things? Because you know it's wrong. Where do you think that comes from? I mean, how many times have you done something and you knew it was wrong, but you did it anyway, and then as a result of that, you just, you tried to ignore it, push it away, but you knew it was wrong. You tried to cover it up. No, you didn't have the Word of God. You didn't have that to reveal that you were wrong, but you already knew it. You knew it was wrong, but what God's Word does, it gives us a complete revelation of God's standards and the Spirit of God who calls us to repentance and transformation. But you knew it was wrong. You didn't have the law, but you knew it was wrong because of the Spirit is written on your heart. Are we willing to yield to that Spirit? Otherwise, we make up our own rules. Maybe you've heard this before, you know, God just wants me to be happy. You ever had somebody tell you that? God, you know, God just wants me to be happy. Well, is that true? Does he want you to be happy or does he want you to be obedient? Does he want you to be submissive? So the Gentile can't say, listen, I'm innocent because I don't know any better or because I don't know God's law. God says, no, 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 he can't do that because I gave you a conscience and you have that conscience that lives within inside of you to reveal what's right and wrong, the difference between darkness and light, and then lastly to the, to the moral person. So you've got the Jew, you've got the Gentile, and now you have the person that's immoral. They all go together. Look at what he says and see. Miss C would be this, and then the moralist can't say I'm innocent because I'm a good person because God judges the secret attitudes and, and actions. The good person, the one that does all the good things, the one that we talked about up front. You know, I don't, I don't holler. I, I, I try to help people out. You know, I didn't, I didn't um, <clears throat> make some gestures towards the person that sort of cut me off in traffic the other day. I wanted to, but I didn't do it because I'm good. 
But God just doesn't judge the things that we see, but he judges the things that we don't see. He judges the things that are in secret, the attitudes, the actions, and the motivations of, of our hearts and thoughts. And Paul was leading us to this place to say this, all mankind is guilty regardless. That all of us deserve God's judgment. All of us. I mean, and you hear this and you go, good gracious of life. I mean, if all of us are guilty, Sid, you're like, there's just no hope. <laughs> there is hope. There is hope, and it's that hope that Paul would talk about over and over and over again inside of his, his letter as he wrote to the church at, at Rome. There's hope, but it comes through salvation, and it's available to every person that's willing to humble and place their faith in Christ and believe what he did on the cross. See, see that, is, that, that just isn't an answer. It is the answer, the only answer to submit to Jesus to give our lives to him and to choose to follow him. I mean, do you, do you realize how good of a father we truly have? Do you realize that? Do you, do you realize the extent that he's gone, the price that he's paid, because he loves us, because he wants what's best for us? Song. If you know this song, uh, please join me. If you don't, will you say the words to the Lord and make this your song to Him? Hey, can you turn the lights up a little bit? I can't see my music. <laughs> Sorry. That could be a problem. <laughs> Every breath 
will see of the goodness of God. Your goodness is running after, it's running after me. Your goodness is running after, it's running after me. With my life laid down, I'm surrendered now. I give you everything. Your goodness is running after, it's running after me. Closing up, closing out. But, um, you know, it's really easy to become complacent. If you're a believer, to take um, for granted what Jesus has done. We ought to be living intentionally every day if we truly believe that Jesus did what he did. Amen? If you truly believe that you have the answer for brokenness and lack of hope, there's no reason why we shouldn't be very free with the gospel, and that shouldn't be a part of our conversations. It's a tiring experience, I think, to be a religious person. Never be good enough. There's some of you that, man, you're involved in anything and everything, and on the outside, it looks really good, but on the inside, it's a mess. You're like the, you know, the son of, the, of uh, the father that had the son that was stayed back, and you're doing everything right, and on the outside, it looks really, really good, but on the inside, man, there's that junk that's going on. Maybe this morning you just need to go before the Lord and do some business and ask him for forgiveness. There may be some of you here today that for the first time in your life you've recognized that there's something that's missing in your life. I'll tell you what it is. I mean, I've heard it before. I was in a conversation with somebody not long ago and I think they misunderstood what I said. I said, I'd love to, I've got somebody that I want to introduce you to. I think they thought I was talking about another person that they could see or go out with or date or whatever else. No, the person I wanted to introduce them to is Jesus. Because a guy or a girl is not going to change your life. A little bit more money in your pocket is not going to change your life. 
but I know it will change your life. When you come face to face with Jesus and you recognize that you're a sinner and you choose to, to repent and to turn your life to him and to yield yourself. And today, if you've never made that decision, you have the ability to make that decision right where you are. To say, Jesus, I'm a sinner. And I cry out to you and I recognize my sin. And because of my sin, my life is a mess. Jesus, thank you for dying for me. I want to live for you. I want to put you in the driver's seat of my life. And you have the ability to pray that. Travis, stand up for a second. You see this guy right here? If that's you, I promise you, Travis would love to be able to talk to you and share with you about Jesus. Colt, stand up for a second. See that guy right there? He'd love to be able to tell you about Jesus and what Jesus has done in his life and the difference. So if you're here today and that's you, I want you to come see one of us. We'd love to be able to talk to you about a relationship with Jesus Christ. In the meantime, what I'd love for you to do is I'd love for you to watch this video and watch of a person that came to say, I want to know Jesus. I want to be baptized as a result of my faith and my trust in him. Hi, my name is Isabella and this is my baptism testimony. My dad and my friends played a big role in me coming to know Jesus. I knew I needed Jesus when I understood that I can't live my life without him. My favorite Bible verse is John 13, 7, for you do not understand what I'm doing now, but later you will. I love being a part of the Heritage family because they always make me feel loved. Heritage family, one way that you can pray for me is that I will always have this much passion for Jesus. The last thing I'd like to say is I'm so excited to share this with everyone and I can't wait to see where God leads me. Let me introduce you to the Sullivan family. Michael, why don't you come on up as well? she had a lot to say. Teenagers, so interesting. Come on up, family. You can come on up here. Look, you and look nice for the occasion. <laughs> Izzy, man, we're thrilled today. One of our favorite things at Heritage, the reason we called it Heritage is because we know the responsibility we have to pass down our faith to the next generation. And uh, this is fruit of that. Amen. And everyone here, we play a role. Yeah, you can clap. That's okay. I got the mic. I can talk loud. We play a role in the lives of these young people. You know, as you see them when you come in, when you, when you cheer them on, when they make these decisions, when you, when you speak wisdom from your life into the young people's lives, we are all playing a role of, of that, helping them grow up into their faith. And Izzy has made this decision, and now we get to be baptized. Baptism shows that it's a sign of a new hope. You now have hope where there was no hope, a sign of a new family. This is part of your family, the family of God. You are a chosen daughter of God the Father, and a sign that you have a brand new life as well. From this moment on, when we, when we dunk you under the water, it's a sign that the old Izzy's gone. But we're thrilled because the new Izzy, even version 2.0, is even better. 
Mom and Dad, do you guys want to say anything? Can we throw a microphone at y'all? Let me see. I'm going to clean up around here a little bit for Sid. Fantastic. Dad? Um, I'm you sure you don't want to say anything? Yeah. <laughs> it's all you. I'm so incredibly proud of you. Um, your mom and I love you. But your father, your heavenly father, loves you even more. And I am so uh, thankful for our church family. And I want to challenge you guys to, you'll see her out and about and hold her accountable. Pray for her. Be, be there for her because she's going to need you. I tell them all the time what we're going through in this world. And I'm just super proud of you. So, great job. Okay. No one else? Brother, sister? Mike, new youth pastor? I'm cheering you on. I'm supporting you. <laughs> so, let's get in the water, okay? Yeah, if you're going to dunk, you might want to take that jacket off. You're going to get wet. I mean, yeah. Screwed up far enough so he don't bonk your head on the back, okay? Izzy, you've trusted Jesus in your heart, yes? And you want to walk in his ways from this day forward, yes? Because of your testimony this morning, we baptize you, my sister, in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, buried with him in baptism and raised to walk in new life. Amen. What a way to, to, to end a day where we talk so much about the, the life of sin and, and, and what our position before an almighty holy God is. Before Christ, though. Amen. But now she's a daughter who is righteous, declared not guilty before God the judge. And so we pray this morning and we'll send you out. Father, we are thankful because of who you are, because of your word mostly because of your son, Jesus, and the sacrifice on the cross on our behalf. Thank you for Izzy making this decision. Father, I pray that you would make an impact in our lives. Send us out today, Father, to be missionaries, beacons of light in places of darkness. We love you, Lord. Amen.